Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Jim and Austin. It's uh, Black Friday that we're recording this. Uh, there's a some, uh, I guess it's a really Black Friday in Hong Kong, Jim. What things have changed uh, a bit since we last talked about Hong Kong? Of course, we may talk about some other things in China too. But Hong Kong has uh, gotten a lot tenser, right, yes. Jim? Well, yes and no. The police have withdrawn from the university that it was under siege. Uh, the students were using bows and arrows and Molotov cocktails. But the uh, basically, the police said, look, you can just leave, and we'll leave. And everybody's left. <laughs> uh, apparently, a couple of students just walked out this morning, the front gate, no police, no nothing. They just walked down the street, la-di-da. Uh... I think for various reasons, the uh, China is uh, is hitting the pause button here. Uh, one thing that's going on that doesn't get a lot of attention is there is a uh, Chinese espionage officer. Yeah, I'm talking about an officer in the MSS, whatever it is, the whatever the department is that handles overseas espionage. Uh, he defected to Australia, Mr. Wang. William Wang, 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 whatever name you want to use. Anyway, he's being debriefed. He defected over a week ago, and uh, he appears to be the real deal. Um, uh, he had worked in, well, he worked all over, you know, Asia, that region. Uh, he had a lot of good stuff on uh, watch how China was subverting uh, <coughs> politics in Australia, how they, what plans they China had for the 2020 elections in Australia. Uh, and he basically worked all the hot spots in the, and of course he had information on Hong Kong because he was plugged in, you know, to the, <laughs> to the secret agent man network. Uh, apparently he had also some firsthand knowledge because, uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently China considers Hong Kong a foreign territory. So they send their, uh, the agents, you know, who work the rest of the region into Hong Kong occasionally. But that being said. I asked on Wall Street, well, I mean, the street, as it were, it hasn't, I'll hear more when the Christmas parties get started, um, that a lot of firms are bailing out of uh, Hong Kong or making plans to do so. Uh, now, some of them are contingency plans being uh, updated in minute detail, meaning we can be out in 48 hours, Chief. Um, but they're also unwinding positions, and that's when they're serious. I mean, when you, you untether the money, or have it less tethered to China. And I think China got that message. Uh, unlike the, uh, you know, back in the pure communist days, you got a lot of accountants in the upper echelon who can read a balance sheet, and better yet, they can read the uh, the, the detail pages uh, uh, the, on the uh, financial statistics. Uh, well, let me put it this way. They know how to use a Bloomberg terminal, not to give Mr. Bloomberg any publicity, but basically he still is the king of international, you know, financial information uh, delivery. Um, and he bas they basically are saying that it looks like the foreign money in Hong Kong is getting nervous. And you can tell by, again, certain movements. I mean, you know, 
Well, what it comes down to is what they call a quick unwind. In other words, where you can basically uh, uh, move your funds out of Hong Kong very quickly with uh, minimal damage. Um, and uh, that's always a bad sign. You rarely see that unless there's a disaster looming. And that's what the, the warning signs are up all over Hong Kong. Now, that sends an important message to China because whether they go full Tiananmen or try and wait, the, wait them out, and as Austin has pointed out in his column, uh, apparently they they're gonna wait until the you know the you know the <laughs> forever until the monkeys fly or whatever the phrase is in Chinese, uh, because the vote the recent vote for the municipal elections was overwhelmingly anti-China, and they had a record turnout. So there's a message there. Mr. Trump would understand that. Um, and I know, speaking of Trump, yeah, he had, he finally, <laughs> he and the Congress got together on something in, in very expeditious uh, uh, speed, uh, a resolution, uh, not just censoring China on Hong Kong, but implementing, uh, how should I put it, uh, punishments. If uh, China does not abide by the eighteen the, the nineteen ninety seven agreement with uh, uh, Britain at the end of the lease uh, for its lease for Hong Kong, where they basically kept most of the ch- key Chinese in Hong Kong and key foreigners, although half a million left at that point, they didn't trust the Chinese even then, and a lot of them are telling their their folks who stayed, "I told you so." But anyway, the um, uh, we want. We're basically holding the we're holding the feet to the fire. There will be sanctions if they violate it. And and the worst sanction of all is the press releases about we're imposing sanctions because China has again you know broken its word, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. China likes to do these things on the down low, quietly. Uh, they they disappear people. They arrest people on other charges. Uh, for example, there was the uh, there was notorious case a few years back of kidnapping uh, booksellers and publishers in Hong Kong, uh, literally kidnapping them and taking them to China and then charging them in China. Now all these guys, when they finally got back, and that was after months, and they were basically given a third degree, as it were. Uh, some of them said, "No, we were kidnapped." Others, you know, they kept their mouth shut in a way that, you know, all right, you were kidnapped too, cool. Uh, and, uh, you know, China didn't give it any publicity in China. Uh, it did continue to get publicity in, in Hong Kong, but it never made big news around the world. I said, oh, there's China. You know how they are about censorship. Well, that was about a program that came to a head recently in Hong Kong of intimidating uh, the, the Hong Kongese. Uh, and the Chinese thought they could pull it off. But as Orson pointed out, their recent election that the, the on the 24th, uh, that was an enormous uh, setback for China. Because if they're intimidating it, 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 the Hong Kongers, it isn't reflected in the, in the voting. And that's what they have used as a brand parameter before this, uh, before the, the uh, protest this year. Uh, they were getting more support in the polling. I mean, there were more uh, pro-China uh, uh, people being elected to this. This is the this is the local government. They take care of you know the municipal, getting the streets repaired and the garbage picked up, stuff like that. Um, but it is the one uh, vote in Hong Kong which reflects the attitudes of the of the of the, the Hong Kong people. 
And right now it's decidedly against China. And China feels it's getting out of control. In other words, even if there are no more demonstrations, uh, China has lost the confidence, as it were, of the, the Hong Kong people. And if they see these, uh, these how should I put, you know, quick uh, departure plans uh, remaining in place, uh, in effect, put on a hair trigger, uh, that's bad news. Because it means, the, especially the foreign firms, they don't trust China to keep its word or to not come back and try and do a full Tiananmen and end it once and for all. Now, the next thing you'll see is China trying to entice people to move to Shanghai. But therein lies the problem. One reason Hong Kong was a popular middleman for foreign uh, uh, banks and foreign and, and other countries dealing, having financial dealings uh, and trade dealings with uh, financing trade and what have you with China through Hong Kong was that you could trust the courts there, the, the chancery courts and what have you. Uh, it, because for one thing, uh, again, they had the tradition with the British, which is, again, why Hong Kong uh, you know, uh, uh, grew to uh, uh, you know live up to its name, which means rich port, uh, lucky port. Uh, the uh, that that British administration it may have been foreign, but it was honest, and you didn't get that too much in that part of the world. It wasn't just China, uh, and foreigners felt confident, especially bankers uh, and people investing large sums of money. They felt comfortable doing it through Hong Kong. Because as long as the as disputes were they were uh, you know adjudicated in Hong Kong, they they knew if they got they got screwed uh, you know legally and they lost in court you know it was you know all right we 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 made a bad decision but it wasn't because somebody bought off the judge. Well now some of the judges who have been invited they they invite foreign judges to sit on those courts you know and, and wrote to, you know it's a sure it's a it's it, they pay them a lot. And it's a prestigious thing, and it's interesting, uh, and um, and it's part of the allure. You know, there's not just one bunch of judges. There's a there's a constant rotation. Well, some of these are saying, "Well, I don't think we'll 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 come. I don't think we uh, we feel comfortable, et cetera, et cetera." So China is losing things that has been built up over over more than over two de- over well, two decades now, um, and they have to decide: Are they going to what you know flush it all down the toilet? Or are they going to try something else? And I think especially because Mr. Wang down in Oz, you know, sinking his heart out because he hasn't actually been granted asylum yet. Uh, there's always the risk that he's some sort of, you know, uh, ploy. But as as we discovered during the Cold War, you know, the Russians didn't do ploys like that. If if you had a, a colonel of the, KG, the, the KGB or the GRU in your custody, uh, he was probably the real deal. Uh, they don't send senior intelligence operatives out there on a risky mission to, to deceive the uh, uh, the Americans and never get out unless these guys are really defecting. So I'm, I'm pretty certain there are CIA representatives and representatives of intelligence agencies from other countries in the, in the air region, either in participating in the interrogations, debriefs, or listening in on the spot and, you know, passing notes as it were, asking about this, asking about that. Uh, he apparently is credible. Uh, and the other interesting thing about not just his information, but he is, is he, is he the first of many or what are the special circumstances that caused him to, uh, to flip? 
if it is true that a lot of the agents are getting nervous about China's foreign policy and, and aggressive espionage uh, because you got the Americans are pushing back now, and that's encouraged a lot of our allies to push back. You know, one thing, you know, uh, there have been a lot of our allies have been criticizing American foreign policy and domestic policy. But one thing they agree on is when you push back against China or North Korea and it works, hey, we're behind you on that. At the very least, we'll keep our mouth shut. Um, and that is that is a that is a big success. But it's got China worried uh, that, you know, it may not end, you know, if there's a change of government. Uh, in the United States, because there wasn't even a lot of domestic criticism of our government for the you know, the new uh, get hard on China, get tough on China routine, because it was getting results. And you don't win elections by saying, well, that's that's somehow bad news. Um, so, you know, something's been started in the United States, which everybody in the, around the world was afraid, or at least in the major trading countries, of moving forward. And really, the United States has the biggest exposure. We're their biggest uh, foreign customer. Uh, we're their biggest financial partner. Uh, we're biggest everything. So if we take the lead, which we have, and say, come on, it's time to clean up your act, uh, and that basically opens the, opens the floodgates. So uh, I think the most ominous aspect of what's going on in Hong Kong right now is nothing is going on. In other words, China has put the put everything all right let's halt let's not you know uh let thing let's not start a fire we we don't want to put uh, uh fail to put out uh let's stop and think so i don't know how long this timeout is going to last but i suspect the outcome is not going to be a Tiananmen. uh dan yes uh, let me come but quickly comment on something jim said about the okay. accommodation operations uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, he mentioned uh, about some of the uh, kidnapped people that had been kidnapped and, and uh, taken in, into uh, 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 People's Republic of China, uh, Communist China. Uh, I read uh, an anecdotally, uh, I'm going to say about four, about maybe, maybe it was five, and then I think about it, the uh, article I read about this quite uh, some time ago. And one of the men who was kidnapped had run a small bookstore, but it was very popular in Hong Kong for a while. I, I believe it. I'm, I'm correct on that. Again, it's from memory. He was a small shop uh, shop owner. Uh, everybody figured out what had happened that and where he he'd been taken. It was supposed to intimidate everybody. It angered people more than it. In I'm sure it intimidated them, but it also angered them. Now, there are a lot of reasons for the Hong Kong populace to, to be angry and upset with Red China. And uh, Jim covered, a, uh, uh, covered uh, a, a slew of them. But you saw that anger, disgust, and pushback reflected on November 24th in that district council election. And the district councils, Jim said, yeah, they're, they're uh, they're not the LegCo, the legislative uh, group that really is. Uh, the Red China has already messed with the way the selections made to that uh, uh, to that board. But the district councils do re have, reflect uh, d uh, democratic sentiment, public public sentiment. You had almost seventy-five percent 
of the population vote, 71% you'll see in some reports, but it turns out maybe it's somewhere between 71 and 75% of the voting age population showed up, and it was overwhelmingly for the 452 seats that were that were at stake, at stake in 18 different di- uh, districts 90% of it went to the pro democracy uh, movement and that's with at least one maybe two it's a little bit murky but there's still at least one people's armed police essentially a mechanized police division uh, sitting over there in Shenzhen which is just uh, northwest of uh, uh, of of Hong Kong, and also with you know, their People's Liberation Army uh, troops inside Hong Kong now. They've, they're there at uh, PLA headquarters, which is the old British Prince of Wales barracks. I believe on in one strategy talk, I admitted that I had been in there and drunk a cup of tea when it was still British, uh, uh, British military headquarters there. But they're they're stationed there, and they have been since '97. But they rarely appear outside of garrison. But there were a few incidents of the PLA personnel uh, during this past uh, few months since the eh, really the. First demonstrations were uh, marches. They weren't demonstrations. They were marches in April, but it really kicks off after the 30th anniversary of Tiananmen Square this this past June. Since then, on a few occasions, you'd see uh, People's Liberation Army soldiers. They were out uh, picking up debris from protests. Well, they were out there. It was a show of force, one of these subtle Chinese shows of force that uh, uh, Jim referred to. That didn't work either. Uh, now, Red China bet on intimidation. They also bet on slow motion, uh, well, erosion, a slow uh, invasion of Hong Kong's autonomy po- politically and and legally. You can make a direct analogy to the, the concrete islands, you know, how long it takes to build those damn islands down in the fake islands down in the South China Sea. That's a slow invasion as well. And, you know, tw- in 2016, that uh, Hague arbitration uh, court on the UN uh, uh, law of the sea, uh, the Philippines had filed, uh, you know, 2013, I think is when they filed it, the but certainly that's when they made the initial complaint about uh, communist China encroaching on uh, the Philippines' uh, exclusive economic uh, zone. It, it's EEZ. And more than that, they came in, built an artificial island on a reef, uh, on a sea feature, and then claim it's as Chinese as, as Shanghai. They got a decision, Philippines did, in 2016 from the uh, Hague Arbitration Court uh, that – saying 98% agreement with the Philippines, China's encroached, China just ignored it. Now, that's a bad signal to all of Southeast Asia and the South China Sea. It's a bad signal for everybody, but it's also a signal everybody in Hong Kong understood. I'm going to take 2016 as a, as really as a, as, a start, as a start point. There were already indications of pervasive Chinese spying in the United States and Canada in 2016. 20, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think it was 2015, wasn't it? Maybe late 2014, that the Office of Personnel Management was hacked 
by yeah. uh, John. And that's right. I know you wrote a you wrote right. a lot there of were, there were several waves, but yeah, there was the big one that really got everybody. Right. I'm yeah. I'm I'm saying that that's June 2015, but the one where they basically got between four and five million uh, files of a lot of of DOD personnel. Uh, soldiers and, and civilians, yeah. DOD personnel, many of them retired. And I know that this is on strategy page. Jim, uh, uh, Jim uh, <coughs> wrote this. We, I, I've plugged this into some things I, I, I've written as well. The, the point there is, is that a lot of retired uh, or former service members uh, go into other security agencies uh, in, the, in the federal government. Also in state security agencies, just think about it. A guy who's been a good rifleman uh, in an infantry outfit for four years, he gets out. <clears throat> he's got four years of quality service. He's shown he knows how to make decisions in, in tough situations, even if he's never been uh, in, uh, in combat. You know, he's a disciplined individual. State uh, uh, police, uh, ICE, border uh, uh Border Patrol, and then you start moving into, of course, CIA, DIA, and the like. These are people they're interested in, especially, especially special operations uh, personnel with special operations uh, experience. And right there, you've got threads with that hack of how to how to blackmail, blackmail a massive net of U.S. not just espionage but security personnel, and. China that did it. Uh, the blame, in large portion, I think, can be laid on the Office of Personnel Management. They had an incompetent leading. She was a, a, a Democratic Party stalwart and spent more time politicking and didn't didn't realize that her job was one of her chief jobs was to secure those personnel files. Now that, but that was a huge alert to everyone, saying, "Wait a minute." Hey, our whole policy towards Red China, and look, I thought it was worth trying uh, circa 2002, maybe even 1997, is that if we engaged them economically and they were rewarded, there would be liberalization or modernization. No, all it did, especially when Xi Jinping takes over, is now we've got money and now we're going to use muscle. And they start that and really accelerate that about 2012, uh, about the time that, that Xi's uh, uh, cadre uh, takes over the, the, the pol uh, pol Politburo. Uh, and then they talking about espionage, it's global, but they were focused on, uh, focused on us. 2015, 2016, 2016, we start getting more indications just how pervasive Chinese spying is at our research institutes. 2017, now I think that's when this starts very seriously looking at some of our medical in, uh, uh, me medical facilities. And the big break in that, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> was only came out this year. When, and it was MD Anderson Cancer Hospital at uh, Texas Medical in, in Houston and Emory University's research uh, uh, outfit uh, in Atlanta that got the, got the publicity initially. China had focused, well, both of those are two outstanding medical research institutions. The Chinese were stealing proprietary information from both of them. And 
they were fo- if you caught it in the mainstream media, you know, oh well, there, there, there they are. They're just two of them. It turns out, and it, this has come out in the last few months, there were somewhere between seventy and eighty institutions that finally got investigated by the FBI, and there were signs in all of them of, if not direct espionage, meddling and use of monetary incentives to co-opt researchers. Also, a system to try to plant sympathizers as researchers or catalogers or data uh, data managers. So to uh, relate this to what Jim said, no, I don't think it's going to stop now. Because enough people, no matter what their political views are, have seen that their own individual institutions have already been penetrated and co-opted or are potentially targets for this kind of pervasive intelligence. And and I was amused. I didn't know Jim was going to do this when he brought up that uh, Australian uh, defector. I read about that. Uh, first read about maybe just five or six days ago, and it was in an Australian uh, website, one of the Australian uh, big newspapers. And I, I, my first thought, too, was similar to yours, Jim. Gee, this is interesting. Is this uh, fake? But one of the things they, in the, this report I read was that this Mr. Wang was – uh, uh, frustrated and upset, one of the many things that had motivated him was Hong Kong and what was going on in Hong Kong. Yeah, that could be platitudes, but there were just too many indicators in here that you compared him to a KGB colonel. I think this guy is a, a big league major uh, for, you know, foreign directorate type uh, uh, a spy. The Australians certainly seem to think that he is, and he's got a ton of operational level knowledge about Chinese uh, operations, apparently throughout the Pacific Basin. That would include us in Canada too. I'm wondering how you know. How, you know I'm sure all five eyes are are with this, and I'm using the five eyes uh, out of World War II, the you know Anglosphere. Uh, spying uh, co-op with Canada, U.S., Great Britain, New Zealand, and Australia. Uh, interesting that he defected to the Aussies, uh, uh, too, but he apparently had had some operational contact uh, with the Aussies. If, if that guy is the treasure trove of, of data, uh, we're going to be able to make some real inroads uh much more quickly than I thought we would against this pervasive uh, uh, spying, <laughs> strategic spying by uh, uh, by the Red Chinese. One last comment. Jim got this, uh, did a good good job on on pointing this out. You were talking though, Jim, primarily about the financial unwinding uh, and investments on this. Yes, that's going on. Yes, but some of the supply chain unwinding. And you, Trump gets credit for this. Starts in 2017. Yeah. It's slow, and that that's harder to unwind. I know it's all hard to unwind, okay? But supply chain stuff, now you've got to start getting, where can I move the the manufacturing uh, dies for this for this widget, it's in China now, and you know they, they pr- pretty much work. But I got to go find someplace else. If if not, in the, I can't do it in the United States or Canada, maybe Mexico. But we're going to have to 
there, there's there's physical change here as well as also infrastructure to have the uh, transportation infrastructure to move whatever the widget uh, uh, widget is. But that starts in twenty seven uh, uh, in in twenty seventeen, and as far as I can tell, it's really started to accelerate earlier this year. That's a huge message to China, Dan. A big one, which is. I'm so, and I'm I'm being figurative uh, here when I say this. Could be could be literal, but but it says I'd rather make it in Mexico than in um, uh, Hainan, you know, on Hainan Island or whatever. That would be the the the, the business uh, business decision, which is okay. Well, we're going to commit to Mexico or wherever, Mexico, Colombia. Belize, uh, I'm moving it to the Western Hemisphere, instead of uh, in, instead of making it in, in, in China, that really does ultimately have an, an effect on the stability of the Beijing regime because they've been able to buy people off by giving them enough cash to buy, you know, <laughs> MacBooks and uh, iPhones and things like that, have access to it. And you start crushing down the money. You also are moving the money down that they have to spend on weapons. Uh, slower process, but uh, maybe maybe the boys in Beijing are 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 really smart enough to to say, hey, it'd be nice for us to have some cash instead of a war. I'll leave it at that. Jim, how is this affecting the other countries surrounding China that? are worried about China. They're happy. Uh, as Austin was pointing out, with all that uh, <clears throat> that manufacturing, that industrial activity being moved out of China, a lot of it is simply going next door to Vietnam, Malaysia, uh, Thailand. These are all countries that are much more stable than China. The they Philippines. Have, I should have said the, the Philippines. Philippines. Right, exactly. Well, <laughs> that... <laughs> that is a downside because a lot of Chinese ga- uh, illegal uh, hacking operations uh, move to the Philippines and uh, where else did they have a lot of arrests. But anyway, the um, uh, uh, yes, a lot of legitimate, uh, not Chinese, but you know, foreign countries uh, are pulling out of China. There's also other problems in China. There's the pollution, which is getting worse and worse. And of course, there is the uh, shortage of labor. They have that the one China, the one uh, one child policy for decades. Uh, and then, well, it was the double whammy in China. First, there was the one child policy, whether you wanted it or not, you were only going to have one kid, especially in urban areas. Uh, out in the countryside, you could have two. Uh, but then it, what happened when a huge chunk of the Chinese population in two decades became middle class, became affluent by Chinese standards, the first thing women do when that happens is, well, aside from buying better clothes, is they stop having a lot of kids. Uh, and that, that's an ancient uh, problem. I mean, a lot of the dynasties, uh, it, you know, going, we can trace this back to the Romans. Uh, the the middle class, the Romans would complain about, you know, the equities, the the new nouveau riche, as it were. Uh, the minute they get up there, they they can't expect a dynasty out of these these families because the women say, all right, you know, one and done. Or you know, as the English put, the English aristocracy, monarchy, not aristocracy, the aristocracy put it, one heir, one spare, and then we party. Uh, the um, 
uh, and this had this had real impact over the over you know over history, because it meant that uh, the 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 how should I put it the more powerful the more talented uh, families uh, didn't reproduce uh, off, uh, much at all compared to the rest of the population, uh, and it was very difficult to uh, you know to get these educated families these educated clans uh, going. Uh, and uh, it was a real loss. But now it's catastrophic. Uh, that's why you're having the huge decline in population in places like uh, not just Europe, but also Japan. It's catastrophic. Uh, Russia, catastrophic. Uh, what? That's one bad side. That's one bad side effect of getting rid of the commies. You know, you let them get rich, they stop having little Russians. Um, South Korea. Uh, North Korea has a higher, you know, uh, reproduction rate than South Korea because there's not much else to do up there. And there's you often know light at night. Uh, the, uh, the Chinese, uh, are suffering a, uh, starting to suffer a huge, uh, and it's not going to get any better, uh, labor shortage. Uh, at the same time, they have a huge growth in the elderly population and they have no made no provisions for them because they always expected the extended family. Well, that one child policy basically blew apart a lot of extended families. Uh, and the kids don't want to be bothered, literally. I mean, that's considered disgraceful. But, we, you know, as Austin put it, you know, when the kid has an opportunity to buy an iMac or, a, you know, a, a car uh, versus, uh, you know, supporting his cranky old man, uh, you know, unfortunately, they often choose the, the, the you know, the bling. Um, and uh, at, at the same time, this is hitting China. Uh, they have this trade war, which is basically dr- sucking more business out uh, to the point where they're starting to have unemployment again. Um, so this is not going well for them. And plus, China still has a lot of financial overhang uh, that has been sitting there for years. I mean, for example, the huge uh, uh, real estate glut that we overbuilt. Uh, you know, we joke about it in the West about there's, you know, 15 or 20 of these cities. I mean, literally, these huge uh, high-rise, you know, apartment blocks which have nobody living in them. Uh, so th- those, those loans are going to go belly up. They're being propped up by the government for the moment, but eventually they're not going to be able to afford it. The uh, these Chinese stock markets in, in mainland China are notoriously uh, corrupt. Uh, they try to clean that up, but it's not it's not Hong Kong. Hong Kong is the only place in China where you can be you know work, uh, buy into a reasonably you know honest uh, equities market, financial markets, um, and so. Losing China, losing Hong Kong, or trying to move it to to uh, Shanghai, isn't really much of an option as it used to be. And at the same time, they're dealing with this huge flood of uh, foreign investments because they look at a what's happened to them already in China, where it's it's uh, eh, people thought it was impossible to invest in Ch- and do business in China, but they found no, it wasn't impossible, but it can be very difficult because you can't go to the courts. He has to basically develop personal relationships. And for Westerners, it's a big pain in the butt. And in the end, you might lose if you just accidentally cross, you know, the wrong big shot. Um, Hong Kong was the only place in China where you could basically operate on, on, you know, on fair terms or, as we put it, Western terms. Um, 
And now China is having second thoughts about flushing that down the, uh, you know, the toilet. Uh, another thing is, I pointed out earlier, there are more people who are who know, who, who who took accounting courses and and uh, or even are accountants or economists in the uh, in the senior bureaucracy. And I think the the uh, now they 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 have kept that secret because that could be explosive, you know, uh, the details of what's going on with those uh, arguments. Uh, but are basically saying, look. We not we may not be able to afford the financial hit of a major catastrophe in Hong Kong. So if you got to give them a little democracy, that might be the cheaper way to go. Now I'm not saying that is happening, but it has happened before where uh, you didn't find out all these momentous arguments about change. You know, like the the, the economic liberalization that was kept pretty secret before uh, uh, Deng. You know, just came out here and said, "All right, it's glorious to get rich. Go get it, guys," and they did. Uh, Jim, now Jim, somebody's got to come out and say it's glorious to be honest. What what you what what you just said, Jim, is a really. Um moderated and much more real world than the, well, I don't know. When I said either, do you want cash or do you want war? And you're saying the same thing. Hey, do we want to keep the economic engine going? Uh, do we, or do we want to make ourselves poor? Maybe we should give them some democracy. That's a, that's a, those are where the wheels are spinning in Beijing right now, man. Yeah, well, lots, that's bitter tea, as they say in China. You know, the, uh, 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 Xi, Xi, the current president for life, uh, had basically <laughs> said, you know, we're, we're above all this stuff. Democracy is no good, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and he basically stuck his neck out in trying to put the boot on Hong Kong. And now he's got burned toes to show for it. And, and his, his financial advisor is telling him, well, it might get worse. You might lose the whole leg. Uh, so maybe you better consider either backing off or learning how to use crutches. Um, and uh, with this latest vote, uh, that was a big deal. I mean, it was it is even more lopsided than many many optimists believed it would be. I yeah, mean, you know, people were right. getting sick and tired of of the constant you know traffic. Uh, tourist business was off. I mean, your average Hong Konger was taking a hit with this months and months of unrest. But uh, you know, there's resolve there. Uh, they're saying, look, it's now or never. Uh, and uh, apparently now they're encouraged because they feel, well, we got the vote, we got the police back, backing off, uh, there's hope. And boy, in a situation like that, hope is often all you got, and apparently the uh, <coughs> the the Hong, Kong pro- the Hong Kong population has more hope than the Chinese government does right now, and that might be the deciding measure. Michael Yawn, uh, let's give him some uh, credit, uh, our, our friend in, in, in Hong Kong. Michael Yawn, in both on, on some of his uh, posts on his page and his live streams on Facebook, but also he's, he's, he and I have exchanged emails about this. He told me that this was the sentiment that was building up. Now, of course, everybody's got their own direct uh, anecdotal uh, <laughs> understanding of what's going on in the streets. But he'd been all over the area, and he he kept telling me, he says, they, they really are. It's not just the young. There are a lot of people here that said, hey, the deal was through 2047, and we'd see, you know, and well, what was going to happen. They're, meaning they, the Politburo, Communist China, Beijing, is going to, uh, you know, 
pull a full mainland uh, on us and we're just going to be part of the prison state. We're not going to put up with it. And son of a gun, you know, the look at that vote on the 24th. Uh, it's, I just, uh, he's not the only, uh, only one, but he was certainly very uh, vehement that, that the overwhelming uh, uh, adult age population uh, in, in Hong Kong uh, supported the pro-democracy movement. So there you go. Well, that's a, a good place to, to wrap it up and uh, we'll put Hong Kong to bed for a little while and come <laughs> back to it later, I'm sure. All right, we'll uh, talk with you gentlemen next time. Bye, Bye. Dan. Take care.